Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TMA Ask the Expert podcast series. Today's podcast is entitled, How to Manage and Cope with Grief. My name is Gigi DeFibri, and I will be moderating this podcast. The TMA is a nonprofit focused on support, education, and research of rare neuroimmune disorders. You can learn more about us on our website at mylatest.org. This podcast is being recorded and will be made available on the TMA website for download via iTunes. During the call, if you have any additional questions, you can send a message through the chat option available with GoToWebinar. For today's podcast, we are pleased to be joined by Sandra King and Catherine Treadaway. Sandra King is a licensed clinical social worker in the neurology department at UT Southwestern Medical Center. She graduated from Stephen F. Austin State University with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in art education and received her Master of Science in Social Work degree in 2006 from the University of Texas at Arlington. Sandra received her license in Masters of Social Work in 2006 and her license in Clinical Social Work in 2011. In her position at UT Southwestern, Sandra provides emotional support and counseling with patients. She also composes appeal letters and letters of medical necessity, advocates for patients with their insurance companies, and makes referrals to various agencies and other professionals. Catherine Treadaway received her bachelor's degree in sociology and master of social work at Louisiana State University. She started her career at the Baton Rouge General Medical Center on their general medicine floor, gaining social work experience on all the units there, including telemetry, burn, oncology, OBGYN, and the ER. She received her board certification in 1998 from the Louisiana State Board of Board Certified Social Work Examiners. When Catherine first moved to Dallas, she worked as a case manager at Presbyterian Hospital of Dallas on their physical rehabilitation unit for orthopedic and neurologic patients. Catherine has been at the Multiple Sclerosis Program at UT Southwestern since September 2002. She works with a dynamic, multidisciplinary team in the MS Clinic and the Pediatric Demyelinating Disease Clinic, participating in research and patient care. She assists patients by serving as their advocate, locating resources, providing counseling, support and information, and arranging home and outpatient care. She also assisted in the development of the Total Life Care Clinic, a clinic within the MS Clinic, as well as participates in this weekly multidisciplinary clinic for at-risk patients. Welcome and thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Sandra and I'm going to start out by uh, giving some definitions for some things that relate to this podcast. Um, what is grief and the types of losses? Um, grief is a personal experience and it's a response to loss and mourning is a post-loss experience. Bereavement is the state of being separated from someone or something. Um, losses can be many things. It can be the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, a breakup or a divorce, a career change or a life change that you didn't expect or you weren't planning for such as something due to a chronic illness. Um, losses, the death of a loved one, job, loss of function, mobility, loss of relationships, loss of independence, of a role, loss of intimacy, 
All of these are losses and they may diminish self-esteem and fuel depression and anxiety which comes with grief. And this is Catherine. I was going to go over some principles about grief. And again, like Sandra said, it is a natural response to a loss and it's universal. It's experienced across everybody regardless of their gender or their age. Even though it's universal though, it is very unique. We all grieve differently in our own ways. Acute grief is typically limited, yet grief can remain, especially when it's a loss, a chronic loss. And there's really no time frame for grieving. We all grieve at our own speed. And each of those losses may be grieved differently. We also, we grieve better together. And it's okay to express our grief to others. This is really part of healing, is expressing our grief. And it is a complicated process. And what we do know is there's really no one way to do it clearly. The impact of grief uh, is mainly seen on an emotional level um, with an overwhelming sense of sadness, feeling that a part of ourselves has been lost. This would especially be part of a chronic illness. Um, there's depression, wanting to withdraw from others, possibly despair, yearning for the previous life or condition, um, there's fear, there's anxiety, anger, there may be a sense of injustice or envy in others that don't, are not being perceived to having, being going through this. There may be guilt over things that you wish you had done or not done. There may be relief, especially if the person that has passed away, if that's the situation, had been suffering. Uh, shock and disbelief can happen uh, if you're unable to take in what has happened, uh, feelings of numbness. That can often accompany if there was a trauma or a traumatic event that led to the loss, especially in the case of losing someone uh, when it wasn't expected uh, or in a way that is um, traumatic. And there's several other ways that grief impacts us. And it can impact us physically as well, which could be crying, and that could be at unexpected times. You know, when you least expect it, you know, the tears come. But, all, but remember, just because someone's not crying doesn't mean that someone's not in deep pain. Because again, we all express differently. But other physical signs could be frequent sighing, headaches, decreased appetite, trouble sleeping. Some people just feel really heavy, may have aches and pains. And you know, with these things of not eating, and not sleeping well can come along just increased illness and a weakened immune system. Some people may feel tightness in their throat, just feel absolutely exhausted. Um, and some people may just feel really restless, you know, but can't focus on what they want to do. 
There's also cognitive impacts. Some people may just have obsessive thinking about what's going on, apathy or disinterest, certainly trouble concentrating on things, maybe ruminating on what-if scenarios, replaying images of loss, being disorganized, impaired judgment, confusion even, and sudden mood changes that might even surprise yourself. And you know, with all that cognitive impact, you know, if you are actively grieving, it's not a good time to make any major life decisions. You know, if you're thinking about moving or changing jobs or something, I would put that on hold um, until you you are feeling better. One of the things that I've had to deal with when doing uh, counseling sessions, both with people with a chronic condition and also that have experienced a death um, of, a, of a loved one, um, is the spiritual impact. Not everyone is religious. Not everyone is associated with a denomination or a church or a belief system. So when I'm working with them, I am going to be, I'm going to start at the place where they are. If they, I sometimes ask at some point during the session if they are uh, spiritual or religious or if they're associated with any kind of um, organized religion or if they just have their own set of beliefs. And I will mention that or use that in the therapy or when I'm talking to them about ways that they can use that belief system to help them through some of these um, uh, impacts that they're having emotionally. Um, if they're atheist or uh, don't particularly have any kind of spiritual belief, I'm not going to judge them and I'm not going to suggest that they use the power of prayer or anything like that. I'm going to I'm going to be where they are spiritually and um, go from that point uh, or use it if, it if it is part of their life. And if not, then I'll talk about other ways to, uh, to heal uh, through grief therapy. There, there is a tendency for people to isolate socially and detach they may even form unconventional relationships while they're in the uh, throes of grief or after they're, they've been given a diagnosis of a chronic illness. Uh, there may be some family strain because of what changes have occurred in this person's behavior or response uh, to the family emotionally. Those are things to be aware of uh, as part of the grief reaction to a loss. And I just want to add, just to reassure people that all these symptoms and um, common emotions, these are all normal and normal reactions to loss. And you might feel like you're going crazy, but you're not. Um, these feelings, they're healthy, they're appropriate, and negative emotions are part of the process. 
following any kind of loss or following disability, you know, again, this is normal. And I read an article recently, and they had referred to this, uh, quote, limbo state loss, and just describing, like, living a life of uncertainty, you know, where you're just not really sure when the next loss, you know, you may have kind of come to terms with one loss, and then here comes another loss. And I can definitely relate to this as just as being the parent of a special needs child and just the loss of, you know, the expectations of, you know, what your kid is going to do and what they're going to be like and, you know, not having a child that's going to be able to play soccer or sing in choir or do any of these activities. And then there's just things along the way that I feel like has re-triggered that grief, um, again, in this kind of chronic loss state you know, when seizures started and when getting a feeding tube and things like that can kind of just trigger those feelings again. And it's just a roller coaster of emotions. And I think, though, in many instances, individuals and families, they may just even lack awareness that they are indeed experiencing grief. Um, but again, that these feelings are normal. I'm going to talk about um, stages of grief, um, and these have been written about by various people. One of the major influences in this is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Um, she, she passed away August 24, 2004. She was a Swiss American psychiatrist. She was a pioneer in near-death studies and the author of the groundbreaking book, On Death and Dying, which was written in 1969 or published in 1969. She first discussed her theory of the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance as part of grief. Um, as part of the framework that makes up our learning to live with the one we have lost or, in the case of an illness, the, the loss of our independence or some other loss related to that. They are tools to help us frame and identify what we may be feeling, but they are not stops on some linear timeline in grief. Not everyone goes through all of them or in a prescribed order. On the website grief.org, um, David Kessler, who wrote another book with Kubler-Ross, um, says this, I was privileged to co-author two books with the legendary Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, as well as adapt her well-respected stages of dying for those in grief. As expected, the stages would present themselves differently in grief. In our book on grief and grieving, we present the adapted stages in the much-needed area of grief. The stages have evolved since their introduction and have been very misunderstood over the past four decades. They were never meant to help tuck messy emotions into neat packages. They are responses to loss that many people have, but there is not a typical response to loss as there is no typical loss. I think the, these five stages 
can be used as simply a guide. And they're, they're good to read for someone experiencing a loss to help them understand where they might be at any given moment along in, in, their, in their grief process. Um, denial is, this can't be happening to me. Anger is, why is this happening and who is to blame? Bargaining, make this not happen and in return I will fill in the blank. Depression, I'm too sad to do anything. And acceptance, I'm at peace with what happened. If you are experiencing any of these emotions following a loss, it may help to know that your reaction is natural and that you'll heal in time. However, not everyone who grieves goes through all these stages and that's okay. Contrary to popular belief, you do not have to go through each stage in order to heal. In fact, some people resolve their grief without going through any of these stages. And if you do not go through these stages of grief, you probably won't experience them in a neat sequential order. So don't worry about what you should be feeling or which stages you're supposed to be in. Kubler-Ross herself never intended for these stages to be a rigid framework that applies to everyone who mourns. In her last book, Before Her Death in 2004, she said, our grieving is as individual as our lives. So now we're going to talk about a little bit about managing and coping with grief. And I would say first that there really is going to be not one answer for everyone. You know, it's a really um, needs to be highly individualized for that person. So, you know, we're just going to offer some suggestions and things that hopefully people, you know, can pick something out of there for their toolbox to help them. You know, we don't have a choice about illness or someone dying, but we can choose how we respond to the situation. And I think sometimes when people are faced with illness, they do have this opportunity to really evaluate what's important to them and make some profound or even small beneficial changes that they wouldn't have made or done otherwise. Um, one of the things you might want to look at is how have you coped before? Like how have you gotten through tough and challenging times in the past? And maybe just reconnect with some of those activities um, or things that you did that, that helped you to feel better. So certainly you need to take care of yourself as you're grieving over either death or a loss. You know, it's more important than ever to take care of yourself because the stress of a major loss can really deplete your energy and your emotional reserves. So I would um, encourage people to check out this website. It's um, about self-compassion, selfcompassion.org. And you can take a little quiz to kind of see where you're at as far as how you're treating yourself. And Dr. Kristen Neff, she has several exercises on there to help you increase your self-compassion and to be gentle and kind with yourself. And I also would seek out caring people. Um, you may, you know, at times of a major loss or a death, you know, look through your contact list and, you know, look at the people, who are the people that 
you would call on to help you move or, you know, people that you can really rely on to be there for you, you know, and, and pick those couple people that you, you know, are going to go to when you need to and maybe even block some of the ones that are not supportive or not going to be helpful because you really need someone who's not going to be judging you and that is going to listen to you. But we do grieve better together. Um, so I would seek out those caring people. I would, another thing is expressing your feelings in a tangible or creative way. You know, we talked about how important it is to express your feelings. Um, one of those ways is by telling your story. I mean, just telling your story of what's, you know, what you have experienced is a very healing and advocating tool. It gives you a chance to process your own emotions, share your experiences. It can help fundraising for cures and services. And it can be really profound and powerful, and other people you know, may relate to that story. And everyone has a story. You could write about your loss in a journal. If you've lost a loved one, you might want to write a letter saying things that you never got to say to that person. You could make a scrapbook or a photo album celebrating that person's life. You could get involved in a cause or an organization like the TMA, those, you know, or any of these organizations, you know, that might have been important to your loved one. You know, getting out and doing some of the walks, like the TMA walk or like the MS Society, they have a huge bike ride that they do every year all over the country. And again, you've got to look after your physical health. I know it's a lot easier said than done, but our mind and body are very connected. And when you feel healthy physically, you'll be better able to cope emotionally. So try to get enough sleep, try to eat good, you know, and there's even studies to show that people who are eating highly processed Western diet, which is probably a lot of us, um, that that can contribute to depression. So do your best to just eat fresh foods, real foods, exercise if you can, or just get outside. Sometimes just reconnecting with nature can kind of reset our mindset, you know, and getting a little sunshine. And I would say when you're grieving for whatever reason, um, just realize that you're in a vulnerable place and don't use alcohol and drugs to numb the pain of grief or just lift your mood temporarily or artificially. Um, but don't beat yourself up about things. You, um, but just be mindful of that. And I would say try to maintain your hobbies and interests. There's a lot of comfort and routine and getting back to activities that bring you joy and connect you to others. So like say with working, you know, if you're concerned someone's going back to work too soon or, or not going back soon enough, just remember it's so different for all of us and some people may take comfort in going to work and being around people that they really enjoy being with and being able to focus on something else to get, um, and don't want to be at home, you know, maybe ruminating or worrying. And I would just kind of evaluate and reattach yourself to things that you enjoy doing. Um, and think about the example that you want to set for others. 
and don't let anyone tell you how to feel and don't tell yourself how to feel either. And your grief is your own and no one can tell you when it's time to move on or get over it. You know, just let yourself feel whatever you feel without embarrassment or judgment. It's okay to be angry, to cry or not to cry. It's also okay just to laugh and just find moments of joy and, and do those things. And you also, um, I think this is really important when I talked about that limbo state loss, um, when there's chronic loss, I think it's really important to implement some kind of relaxation strategies. You, know, you can honor your grief journey, and but nurture yourself and some of those things, these mindful-based activities like guided imagery and meditation, I mean, we know these things improve our health, they improve our resilience, they can decrease worry and rumination. And there's a really great app that I recently discovered that you may want to download. It's called Insight Timer. And it's, I haven't seen anything that costs money. It seems to all be free. And you can pick how many minutes you want to do, but they have a lot of healing and recovery type imagery on there. That might be something that relaxes you. But again, you know, nothing just fits everyone perfect. Another thing is that personal and individualized rituals are healing. So maybe, you know, if someone has died, you might do something, maybe you plan something fun on their to do on their birthday. Like maybe you're going to go jump out of a plane or you're going to hike a mountain or go see some special place that y'all share together or always wanted to go see or plant a tree or even, you know, visit their graveside or whatever it is, um, just picking some kind of activity, activity to um, honor the person that could be fun as well. And in our clinic, we established this, I don't know, probably 10 years ago. We felt like just us as a clinic needed some outlet for our grieving, for our patients that have died over the years. And we started this event. It's called Because We Remember. And we host it every two years. And we invite the families of the patient that died and as well as all of our team is invited. And we get together and we sing and we remember those people. And um, it's just a kind of healing time for us. Um, and that's just something else, you know, another idea. And I would also, one more thing, plan ahead for grief triggers, like an anniversary or a holiday or some kind of milestone, you know, and just be prepared. There might be some emotional crisis at that time. And if you're sharing a holiday or, or event with other relatives, you maybe talk to them ahead of time about expectations and agree on strategies on how you're going to honor that person that you loved. Um, I'm going to talk about, from the therapist's point of view, um, what you might benefit, what you might be able to benefit uh, from in a grief therapy or any kind of uh, psychotherapy that might help you with your chronic illness uh, or a loss of independence or uh, loss of a loved one. Uh, 
Uh, I, I see patients in the MS clinic for therapy. Uh, some of them have trans, transverse myelitis. Um, and what you, what we see, what we do mostly in psychotherapy nowadays is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And what that is, is using your thoughts to um, kind of direct your emotional state so that if it becomes negative or depressed or anxious, it, you can redirect your thoughts so that you don't feel as depressed or anxious. Um, you can get into some emotional traps when you're grieving, um, or whether it's grieving the loss of independence because of your uh, condition, or from the loss of, a, of an actual person in your life. Uh, these emotional traps are things like putting yourself down, negative self-talk, um, <clears throat> blaming others for your problems, expecting others to understand your problems and to be appropriately empathetic, staying angry about your losses or your illness and withdrawing from social activities or just saying to yourself more. So these negative uh, thoughts that are not helpful to you are the, the kinds of things that in cognitive behavioral therapy, I would say when those thoughts become, when you become aware of one of those thoughts that you stop and you redirect your thinking to something more positive. Um, such as, well, I can't do that anymore, but I can do this. I can still um, go out with friends for lunch. Uh, I may have to get a ride. Maybe you can't drive anymore, but you can still make arrangements to get yourself somewhere so that you can engage in a social activity or you can invite friends to come to your home. Those are examples of way to rethink your current situation and create what people call now as their new normal. Um, grief uh, can be a roller coaster, and instead of a series of stages, you might think of it as full of ups and downs, highs and lows. And like many roller coasters, the ride tends to be rougher in the beginning and the lows may be deeper and longer. The difficult periods should become less intense and shorter as time goes by, but it takes time to work through a loss. Even years after a loss, especially at special events such as family wedding or the birth of a child, we may still experience a strong sense of grief. And this is from um, the Hospice Foundation of America. As a therapist, sometimes I have to tease out what is grief and what is clinical depression. And it's not always easy as they share many symptoms. But there are ways to tell the difference. Remembering that grief can be a roller coaster. It involves a wide variety of emotions and a mix of good and bad days. Even when you're in the middle of the grieving process, you will still have moments of pleasure or happiness. With depression, on the other hand, 
the feelings of emptiness and despair are constant. Other symptoms that suggest depression rather than um, just grief include intense, pervasive sense of guilt, thoughts of suicide or preoccupation with dying, feelings of hopelessness or worthlessness, low speech and body movements, inability to function at home, work, and or school, seeing or hearing things that aren't there. And at that point, if I, if I think that it might be depression, then I might suggest to that person an antidepressant uh, or some other, or visiting with their uh, a psychiatrist to determine what, if there is a, a medication that might be helpful them, to them. Can an antidepressant help grief? As a general rule, normal grief does not warrant the use of antidepressants. Uh, while medication may relieve some of the symptoms of grief, it cannot treat the cause, which is the loss itself. Furthermore, by numbing the pain that must be worked through eventually, antidepressants might delay the mourning, uh, the mourning process. I would um, say in addition to that, it's some people cannot handle crying a lot. And if that really impacts their ability to get through the grief process, then they may want an antidepressant to help with that. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're crazy or that this has to be ongoing or forever. Uh, but they might need some help with some medication for uh, a short period of time. And I just want to get a little bit, um, just touch on supporting others who are grieving. And again, it's a kind of a recurring theme in our talk, just that it's really important to feel and express your feelings. But um, you may decide you do want to seek out a grief support group, and I think we have some information at the end for a resource for that or just support groups related to the illness. And often people with chronic illness can relate to one another's experiences, even if it is a different diagnosis. But I also want to say, if you don't feel connected, that's okay too. You know, Maybe that's not what you need at that time, and it's just not a right time for you um, for that kind of group. Because nobody knows what you feel. I mean, nobody. It's shaped by whatever your circumstances are, your experiences, and just the way that you make meaning out of events in your life. And so if you are helping someone for grieving, don't let fears about saying or doing the wrong thing stop you from reaching out. You know, some of us can feel really awkward when we're trying to comfort someone who's experienced a significant loss. And um, I would say just be genuine in your communication you could just say something really simple like, you know, I just don't know what to say, but I just want you to know how much I care about you. And other things you could offer is like practical support. And a lot of times when people are grieving, they really can't come up with what to tell you to do. Um, maybe just say, I'm going to go bring you a bag of dog food. I can't remember who told me this the other day, but it was immensely helpful for them because um, nobody was thinking about their dog and their dog needed food. Um, bringing the child, their kids to a soccer thing. 
um, again, trying to keep people in their routines. Um, let that grieving person know that you're there to listen to them and listen compassionately. You know, let that bereaved person talk about how their loved one died or even talk about their loss. I read this article the other day. Um, it was titled, I Miss Me Too. And I think sometimes people, they just want to talk about what they miss about themselves. Um, you know, so just be a, be a compassionate ear, accept and acknowledge their feelings, and, you know, let that person know it's okay to cry in front of you or get angry or break down. Don't try to reason with them over how they should or shouldn't feel. Again, it's just very unique. Um, and, you know, maybe they have some irrationality. Um, but what I would say that if you are concerned that someone it is beyond some of these emotions and it's not stopping and it's or worsening and the symptoms aren't fading, that maybe the normal grief has evolved into a more serious problem. And this kind of thing Sandra was talking about, just to look out for those things so that maybe that person doesn't realize um, you know, what's happening and maybe just making a simple statement like, you know, I'm really worried about you because I see you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you know, can I help you? Let's look into getting you some professional help. Um, and again, just acknowledging their feelings, offering comfort and, and reassurance without minimizing the loss. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about hospice. I did work for a hospice company, and I'm going to talk about caregivers and people that take care of someone with a chronic illness or who is um, unfortunately dying of, a, of, of their physical condition. Um, that could be a spouse or a family member, or it could be a non-related caregiver that's maybe a volunteer from church or somebody that's actually even being paid. Caregivers oftentimes their grief is unexpectedly intense to them after the person passes or the, or the progression of the disease changes in some way and they don't realize and other people may not realize that the person who is physically caring for the, the patient is because they're physically involved with the person on a day-to-day -day basis. They, when the loss occurs, when the person passes away uh, or is maybe non-responsive, then they, they suffer more loss than they maybe were even prepared for for themselves because now they don't have this person to interact with on a daily basis. And that's something to think about when you're possibly dealing with a caregiver that you know um, who's going through a, a recent loss or a change in, that, in, their, uh, in their patient's um, condition. And I just want to briefly just mention the holidays since we are in a holiday week and, you know, there's a lot of joy and excitement around, you know, that is not going to be the feeling for everybody. There's always going to be people hurting around us. And I would say for the holidays, take the advice of others only if it works for you and change your routine only if you think it's going to help you. 
and just remember that this might be a good time to implement some of those personal rituals for healing, to remember your loved one. You might light a candle or say a toast or write a card to that person. And this is a really big one I think that can really help people heal is to give to others. It's very healing. It puts your focus on someone else. And I mean, there's been many, uh, much you know, literature out there about how volunteering, for the most part, it usually improves mood. It might be a time to develop new traditions. Maybe you're going to take a cruise or do something just totally different than, than some of your old traditions. And be open to new or surprising possibilities. You know, that the holidays might bring some laughter and peace to you. And do not feel guilty if this happens. And, you know, it's just a time, again, to be gentle with yourself and, and it's okay to cry. And so just kind of a few things to remember just to kind of wrap this up is that learning to live with illness, loss, or disability, it's a process and it evolves over time. But it's, you know, it's a healing journey. It's important to mourn our losses and acknowledge them. This allows us to feel validated. You know, and I certainly have my ups and downs and will have some cries um, at times. You know, but once we can express ourselves and allow ourselves to experience the loss, that can release us to move forward and shift focus on what we still have today. It also, again, could be an opportunity to be someone you never thought you would or could be, like leading to some other path. Um, that you didn't think you would be on and have met different people along the way that you never would have met. And so remember that life is for the living. It takes effort to begin to live again. You have to create a meaningful life. It doesn't just happen. You know, we have to put some time and energy into new hobbies, new relationships, even if that's just one little step at a time. I would also just remind you all to express your feelings because it helps work through the grieving process. And many losses for a person with illness uh, and the family, remember the illness is the bad guy, not another person or yourself. And be patient. It can take months or even years to absorb a major loss and accept your changed life. Seek outside help when necessary. If grief is too much to bear, Seek outside professional help to work through the grief and losses. This is a sign of strength, not weakness, to seek help. And some of the resources that we have are selfcompassion.org. Uh, there's imagery and learning uh, how to be kind to yourself on that website. Uh, there's griefshare.org. Uh, they can you can put in a zip code and they'll connect you with a uh, grief support group in your area. Um, there's um, other things that are that we have. Catherine, do you want to share some of the ones that you were? Um, well, I, I mentioned it in the talk, but just um, Insight Timer. It's an app you can put on your phone, and there's just healing imagery to help you sleep to just help with healing and recovery. Um, 
and I just encourage, you know, or just define what is relaxing for you. Um, but we just know it's proven that imagery and visualization and relaxation brings on the relaxation response um, and just has so many benefits for our bodies and our minds. I think that's, that's it. That's it. And so now I guess we have time for questions. I want to thank you all so much for having us um, on your podcast today. Thank you both so much. Um, that was really great and, you know, gave some really great strategies and, you know, you talked about a lot, you know, in a, a very difficult, um, you know, topic. Um, so, you know, thank you both very much. Um, we do have some questions from the community. Um, you may have talked about this, you know, uh, a little bit in uh, the talk, but, you know, just to kind of uh, explicitly talk about, you know, what people asked. Um, so, uh, you know, you did, you also did mention, um, I think, Catherine, you mentioned about um, people telling their story. Um, and so I did also kind of want to plug that we um, at the TMA do have kind of a few outlets where people can tell their story because I agree, I think it's really important. Um, it's a way to kind of make you feel less alone and also to read, you know, about other people who may be going through similar things. So we do have um, our Hope Ambassadors on our website, which we publish monthly, and then we also have a blog as well. So if anyone's interested in sharing their story, um, we're always very honored to, to share people's stories. So you can email info at mylatest.org um, to do that as well. Um, but um, one question we got is that, um, so this person was diagnosed with TM in 1978, um, and so it's been you know nearly 40 years later, um, they're still stopped in their tracks by a moment of intense grief, sadness, or frustration caused by some seemingly small and insignificant, insignificant difficulty in their day. For example, they can't get their toes to straighten out in their shoes while wearing their braces. Um, they end up crying, feeling overwhelmed, and it takes about 10 to 20 minutes to move on uh, with their day. Um, and they're asking, will this ever end? Well, I'm Miss I'm Sandra. I'm thinking that if they if a trigger happens like the the cramp in the toes or the other things that they just might look at it differently than oh no this here this comes again they could replace that thought with another thought like i can get through this what did i do before when this happened and maybe set up a routine for dealing with the trigger rather than just reacting to it in uh, dismay or sadness uh, or grief and just, you know, stop, take a deep breath and go, okay, how did I fix this before? What do I need to do? Because once I, I find a treatment for this and, and follow through on it, whether that might be going in to see the doctor or getting massage therapy or going to physical therapy, making it more um, about the treatment and, and just getting through it rather than a, uh, a bad thing. Because if it keeps happening and you always think of it as a bad thing, then you're, the, what will follow is bad feelings, emotion, grief, and if you want to just move through that, then I would try reframing it in a different way. Oh, this is happening today. I need to go do this to get rid of that so that I can move on to the rest of my day. 
Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. I think that that makes sense. Um, Catherine, do you have anything to add or? Uh, I just agree with everything she said, just trying to reframe and identify those triggers. Because once you know those, you can identify the thoughts that are preceding whatever emotion she's having and, you know, work to change those thoughts. And, you know, I really like imagery and things like that. So, you know, I would say implementing, okay, I'm going to just do, I feel this feeling come on, I'm going to do some deep breathing and kind of reset myself to do some breathing, um, you know, like just deep breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth, um, you know, until the feeling passes. And I would just add that since she's been suffering with this for she's 40 years, I think is what you said, that it's it may be harder to reframe because we are not trained to reframe our thoughts. We just have our thoughts and then we have our feelings that follow those. That's how we operate until somebody tells us differently, like a therapist. So she may want to see, she may want to uh, enlist the aid of a therapist that can work with her on this and help her retrain herself to, instead of every time this happening, feeling bad, just come up with a plan. Right. Yeah. Have a plan for when that happens mm -hmm. and um and you follow know. through with the plan. Yeah, I think that's good. Okay. Thank you both. Um that's you know, both of you gave really great advice. Um and I know that's a you know could be a very difficult experience being frustrated by these kind of small things. Um so thank you both. Um we also did get a, another question. Um, I think, Sandra, you talked about kind of uh, the difference between grief and depression and, um, you know, that they're not the same thing, but, you know, some people may experience um, both. So uh, one question came in saying, how do I get people to understand that I'm experiencing actual depression and anxiety and comments like chin up or but look at all the good things in your life, you know, don't help. Um, that this person hates these comments and that they're keenly aware of the good things in their life. But, you know, after a diagnosis of TM and dealing with paralysis, you know, how, how does this person get people to honor that and not offer that kind of unhelpful advice? Well, that, that goes to the communication piece of when you're working with a therapist, because a lot of times, one of, one of the things that people will tell me is that someone doesn't get what they're talking about and it could be their illness or it could be their kids, it could be any number of things. So communication is a key. So you can make I feel statements such as like when the person says chin up or you know just get over it or something like that, you can say you know that you, you have to be able, and you might even want to rehearse this. I tell people all the time there's nothing wrong with coming up with, an, with a phrase so that you can, you know, just end that conversation and direct it somewhere else so that it won't um, cause a rift between the person that's saying it, but it will get them to understand that it's not helpful. Um, so something like... Um, I hear what you're saying, but 
right now that is not helpful to me and so let's change the subject. That would be one thing to do. Another thing to do would be saying, when you say that, it makes me feel like I'm not capable of changing, and I am, but I have to do it on my own terms. And then that person might hopefully will go, well, oh, I'm sorry, and you can redirect the conversation. These things that we're not used to doing, that we haven't been taught to do, might be harder to do just on the fly. So I encourage people to rehearse them to themselves. So, and if they do it the first time with that person and it doesn't work out the way they want it to, keep trying. It's a practice. And, um, and Gigi, I'll just add to this because I just recently listened to another podcast and probably one of my favorite people. And she is also a wonderful resource um, for people. Her name's Andrea Hansen. She's a life master certified life coach. She also has a podcast and she wrote a book, Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis. I would recommend you know, any of the listeners to read her book. But she just did a podcast about um, do we always have to express gratitude? And basically the answer was no, <laughs> because that doesn't work for everybody. Um, so again, you have to work with what works for you. And you shouldn't feel guilty or bad you know, if that gratitude um, you know, isn't work. You're white knuckling it. You don't want to be. Um, maybe it's just not working for you at that time. So I think that just kind of plays into, you know, what the question's about, that, you know, we're just all individual. And I like Sandra's idea of rehearsing something that you can just say without having put too much thought into it. You just know what you're going to say. Right. Okay. Thank you both again. Um, and then um, I, this question I think kind of speaks to the the fact that when something like this happens, like a diagnosis um, of one of these disorders, it, it affects more than just the person who's diagnosed. Um, you know, it affects the family and, and friends of the people who, you know, the person who is diagnosed. Um, and so, you know, we did get a, a it's kind of a comment um, rather than a question, but I still think important um, that, you know, her daughter's had TM for 10 years and that she amazes this, um, her with her perseverance. Um, and that, you know, this mother experienced grief for what she has to deal with daily and that she has a hard time kind of accepting her plight in life and that this causes great sadness for her. Um, do you have any suggestions for kind of um, family members who are dealing with grief related to, a, you know, a family member diagnosed with one of these disorders? I know you talked about strategies, but anything kind of specifically to, to this question? Yeah, I mean, I just as a parent of a very disabled child, um, I can definitely relate to some of the feelings she's having. And, you know, and I feel like it's kind of ups and downs. And but I feel like I've surrounded myself with some really awesome, caring people. You know, I would definitely try to build her support network, whatever that might be. Um, I have a really great caregiver that helps out um, with my daughter. And, I think you know, sometimes we just have to laugh about stuff, um, you know, because it can just, it can get really bad. And, you know, sometimes just 
laughing, crying, um, and just letting yourself feel those emotions. Again, so you can kind of just get back in it. And you know, I I definitely realize it can be exhausting. Um, I would say for her to just be sure that she is doing things to take care of herself, that she does have an outlet, that she does go do things with her girlfriends and not feel guilty about it, and that she deserves to go do those things, and they will help her to be you know, a better parent, a better, if she's married, a better wife, um, and just not feel guilty about it, that she needs those breaks. Um, and she needs to get out and do things just for her. Okay. Does that sound Thanks. good? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, you know, I really appreciate um, both of your time today. Um, I think this is a, a difficult topic, but a really important topic um, that affects all of us in various ways. So, um, you know, I really appreciate you both taking the time and you kind of giving concrete strategies um, on this topic. We've never done anything on this topic before, so, um, you know, we really do appreciate both of your time today. Thank you. It was great. I know. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Um, and so just to um, our listeners, you know, as, as some of our members may know, you know, uh, we at the TMA and then also the, the greater community experienced the loss um, this past summer of someone very special from our community, um, Pauline Siegel, who was one of the founding members of the TMA. Um, so, you know, can go through this podcast without, you know, mentioning her. Um, and so in, in her memory, I did want to mention too um, that uh, there's we've started a, a, um, a fund, the Pauline H. Siegel Eclipse Fund for research. Um, that we'll be kind of announcing more about um, in the coming weeks, but um, you know, I did just want to mention her as well. Um, and then um, also another reminder to everyone that this will be made available on our website, on iTunes, and in our resource library for download. Um, so if you want to repeat anything, you know, you can find the recording there as well. So thank you both again so much. Thank you. Thank you.